Some of us can feel stuck in the past, but some of us are taught to be stuck in the present. If you grow up in American culture, you are taught to love right now. What's most important is what is happening in 2021. Sometimes we say things like, it's 2021, shouldn't we all agree at this point? And we may not realize it, but there's a huge assumption there. We're assuming that history moves all in one direction for the better towards agreement where we'll all be on the same page. And that is a big assumption. Because if we assume history just gets better and better and better, we assume the further back we go just gets worse and worse is worse. Now is better. Back then is bad. 2021 is more desirable than 1821. This is such an obvious belief in our culture that few of us even question it. We want to disconnect from the past. We, we don't assume the past has much to do with us at all. And so we ask this question, what does it have to do with us? Because we don't want anything to do with it. The difficulty for Christians, though, is that we are followers of Jesus. And we often talk about what Jesus did in the past. In the past tense, he was born to the Virgin Mary. He began his ministry at 30 years old. He cured the sick, gave sight to the blind. He taught with wise parables. He died and he rose. Those are all in the past. They all happened 2,000 years ago. And so for modern listeners like us or anybody who may be online watching this, we wonder, how do those events affect me? Let's say they're all true. What does a crucified Jewish rabbi have to do with me? How do any of his actions impact us? Can those events, which happened far off in a distant place in a distant time, really change me or transform us right now? How can that work? And the New Testament's answer to that question is not one you'd expect. Because the answer is the ascension of Jesus. This coming Thursday, Christians all around the world will celebrate something called the ascension of Jesus. And Christians have celebrated this for 2,000 years. And if you're not a Christian, you may not have heard of it before. But we confess it at the end of our services every single week. We say Jesus rose on the third day. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you may never have heard of that before. You may not know what it means. But the beauty is that the ascension of Jesus connects his past to our present. Let me say that one more time. The ascension of Jesus connects his past, what he did 2,000 years ago, to us today. And if you understand what the ascension really means, then you can know why everything he did in his life can transform your life today. But in order to understand the ascension, we have to go back to the Old Testament. So let me share a little bit of a story from the book of Exodus. When God freed the Israelites from slavery, he led them through the Red Sea and led them all the way to Mount Sinai. You may have heard of this event before. This is where, G- where Moses receives the Ten Commandments, the famous Ten Commandments. And God's presence descends upon Mount Sinai in the form of fire and smoke and lightning and thunder. And God says that he's going to guide them from Mount Sinai 
to the promised land. They're not there yet, and God's presence is going to go with them. They're not going to go alone. So what God does is he instructs them to create this tabernacle, and that's a strange word for us, but what that is is a sanctuary for worship. And the beauty of this tabernacle, this tent of meeting is that it's mobile. The Israelites can pack it up, they can move a few miles, they can set it up again and do it all over again for 40 years as they wander through the wilderness. So as they move slowly and surely to the promised land, they set up the tabernacle, they worship God and offer sacrifices to him. And what God says to them about this tabernacle, the beauty of the tabernacle and the mystery of it, is that it is, it is made according to the pattern shown on Mount Sinai. The idea is that this earthly tabernacle where God's presence is going to reside is a pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. It is modeled on where God lives in heaven. Now, as the Israelites slowly go to the promised land, they're not perfect people. They continue to sin, and so they need forgiveness of sins. They need atonement, and so the holiest day of the year, each year that they go to the promised land, they celebrate what is called the Day of Atonement. The high priest, a descendant of Aaron from the tribe of Levi, he would sacrifice a bull for the sins of himself and his household. He offered a goat and a ram for the people of Israel's sins. And then he would enter into this sanctuary, this tabernacle on earth. He would bring the blood of the sacrifice in. And he wouldn't stay in the first room. He would go to the Holy of Holies. This, could, this room was so holy, so magnificent, so majestic that you could only enter once a year. It was so holy that they worried that the high priest, upon seeing God's presence, would fall over dead. They would tie a cord around his ankle because if he died, they wanted to be able to pull him out of the room. That's how holy it was. But each year, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring this sacrifice in and God would accept this as pleasing to him and forgive all sins of the people. And if you understand that, if you know that background, it clears the way to help us understand the passages we read today. If you ever read the book of Hebrews, you may not, that's okay. This book is written to Jewish Christians, and so it's constantly referencing the Old Testament. And one reference that it makes over and over and over again is to the earthly tabernacle made by Moses. And there's a very strange idea that the author of Hebrews says over and over and over again. He says that Jesus entered the sanctuary. He went behind the curtain to the holy of holies. And that is really bizarre because Jesus never did that. We have no record of Jesus going into the temple. We know that he wasn't a Levitical priest. We have no story in the Gospels of him going into the inner sanctuary. So you think, did the author of Hebrews make this up? Is he, what point is he trying to make? No, he says, you're thinking of the wrong tabernacle. I'm talking about the heavenly one. Jesus didn't go into the earthly tabernacle that Moses made. He went into the heavenly tabernacle on which that earthly one is based. And Hebrews 9.24 summarizes it really well. He did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven 
itself to appear for us in God's presence. And so, we may not often think of Jesus this way. We may think of Jesus as a king or a lord. We may think of him as a man of compassion and mercy on the poor. We may think of him as a miracle worker or a friend or a perfect moral example. But the author of Hebrews says this over and over and over. If he enters into the heavenly tabernacle, he is a heavenly priest. He has a superior ministry. He has a permanent priesthood. And that changes the way we see Jesus. He was a priest for us. And it helps us understand a very strange phrase. For those of you in the room who've grown up in church and you may have read Hebrews before, you may have seen this verse. It says, Jesus was made perfect through suffering. You might think the Bible isn't allowed to say that Jesus is imperfect, right? But this phrase is a reference to the ordination of priests in the Old Testament. Back in Leviticus 8, Moses gave instructions for Aaron's sons for their ordination day. And he said, don't leave the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for your ordination will last seven days. Now, what that actually literally reads is until the time of your fulfillment or until the day of your perfection. When the author of Hebrews says that Jesus was made perfect, he's talking about his ordination day, his, the day he becomes a priest. And like a good priest, Jesus makes a sacrifice. But it's not like the Old Testament priest who makes sacrifices of animals. He offers Himself, he offers his own life, his own death. He is both the priest and the sacrifice. And the sacrifice isn't for him. He didn't need it. He didn't sin at all. It was for you and me. He goes into the heavenly tabernacle. He goes to the eternal throne room of God the Father. And we read this in Hebrews 10, 11. It says, when this priest... When this priest, referring to Jesus, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. This is why this Thursday is so important to every single person in this room. This Thursday, Christians around the world celebrate the ascension of Jesus. What that is talking about is his action as a priest for you. He ascended into heaven with his crucified body. And he offered that to the Father, and the Father was pleased. And he accepted that sacrifice, and all of our sins were atoned for. Hebrews goes on to say, he always lives to intercede for us. That's what we celebrate this Thursday. Now, I know all those references to the Old Testament about tabernacles and animal sacrifices and days of atonement and priesthood are so foreign to us. They're so strange. They're so unfamiliar. But think for a second about how this changes the world. Jesus Christ is not in retirement. He is not playing golf in heaven. He is not bored. He is not unable to act on your behalf. He lives in heaven right now. He is alive and active and at work. The past 2,000 years have not just been Jesus vegging out. 
He is living to intercede for you and me. This is the one time in our confession of faith at the end of our service in which the verb is in the present tense. Jesus ascended into heaven and he is right now seated at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ, who sacrificed his life for you when he didn't have to, he didn't need to, it didn't do anything for him, it did everything for you. He is talking about you to our Heavenly Father and our Father is eager to listen. When my two-month-old daughter was born, we spent 11 days in the NICU. It was one of the hardest experiences we've ever been through. And my brothers asked me at the time, are, are you okay with us telling other people about what's going on? And do you, want, do you want people to be praying for you? And I said, if you meet someone on the street, tell them about this. We want every single living human being to be praying for her. We want everyone and anyone to be praying for us. And I meant that. Whatever would happen, and we didn't know what would happen with Evelyn, we wanted it to happen because of prayer. And over the next two months of her life, we just kept getting messages and videos and emails from people we didn't know who said that they and their children were praying for us. We had videos of little girls, you know, their mom would get them to pray for baby Evelyn. And I can't tell you how moving it is to find out that someone is praying for you and you, you didn't even know it. You had no idea that someone cared for you and you weren't aware. The most beautiful thing about Christ's ascension into heaven and the fact that he lives to always intercede for us is that Christ is praying and interceding for you. Like right now. Right now. He is speaking to his Father for your good, for your benefit in the present. Even if you don't know him, even if you're not sure about Christianity, even if you're not sure about faith and religion and going to church, he is interceding for you. And of all the people to be interceding for you, he is the greatest because he is this sinless priest. He was tempted without sin and he sacrifices his life for you and me so that our, our sins would be atoned for. The Israelites had this day of atonement each year as they moved slowly but surely to the promised land. But in the ascension, that's our day of atonement. When the high priest makes a sacrifice on our behalf and every single one of your sins are forgiven. Now, this, this view of Christ as a priest can sometimes challenge us. We may not like that word. We may not like it because we're pretty individualistic. One of my favorite bands of all time has this song that drives me absolutely crazy. The lyrics go, I know a preacher, he's a real good man, he speaks from the good book in his hand and helps all people when he can, but me and God don't need a middleman. Well, the good book, if I'm reading it right, the whole message is that you have a middleman named Jesus Christ. You need one. 
like really bad, with all the sin and shame and the failures in our life, with all the ways we're self-destructive or we're destructive towards others, the way that we lie and cheat and steal and betray, the way that we are self-righteous and think we're better than other people, all the things we do and fail to do, we need a middleman. We need somebody's help. We need a mediator, an intercessor. The Bible does not teach that you have access to God the Father all on your own. The good news of the whole book of Hebrews that he makes for chapters and chapters is that Christ is your middleman. You need one and you have one. And the beautiful thing about Hebrews is that it goes on to say that not only was Christ made perfect, not only was he ordained as a priest through his suffering, he makes us holy. He makes us the priesthood of all believers. We're told that we can approach the throne of God with confidence because of Christ. We're told that Jesus went before us and on our behalf so that we could come after him. Paige read this morning that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. The human condition is that we need a middleman. And the gospel is that we have a middleman named Jesus. And for some reason, I don't know why, I don't claim to know why, but for some reason this part of the gospel, the ascension of Jesus into heaven as our priest and king of kings, that fact is somehow ignored. It's like a footnote. We say Jesus died on Friday, he, ra- he was raised on Sunday, and then nothing. We, we don't fill in the rest of the story. When, when Ben and I were preparing for this morning's service, Ben looked through our hymnal to find hymns about the ascension, and we just couldn't find any. This is my challenge to everyone in this room. Write a song about the ascension. We need to sing to God in praise of him for this. Christ's life is not stuck in the past. It's not distant memory. It didn't happen in a galaxy far, far away. He ascended into heaven and lives and reigns with God for all eternity, interceding and mediating for you and me. Every every shame and guilt we bear on our shoulders, we have a priest who can bear it on his shoulders. If anyone in this room is afraid of their past, or frustrated with the addictions they face in the present, you have a go-between named Jesus. If you ever live with heavy secrets and hidden burdens in your life, you have a mediator in heaven right now. Jesus is not an interesting historical figure who made an impact a long time ago. He's not an intriguing teacher with new ideas. He is our great high priest whose sacrifice is available to all people for all time. It doesn't matter what century you live in. He makes present his sacrifice through the ascension. Now, I know that when we talk about the ascension and if it's new to us, it's just so hard to comprehend it. So I just wanted to end this sermon with this beautiful reflection by George Dragas. He talks about the ascension. So, I want to bow our heads in prayer and just revere the fact that Christ has ascended for us. Let's pray.
What mind could grasp the real dimensions of the ascension? In the ascension, the forsaken and feeble human nature, the nature which runs away from God, the nature which was exiled from paradise, that low and miserable and condemned and captured nature of human beings becomes today, in the ascension, more glorious than that of the angels. It is made to sit with Christ at the bosom of the Father and is worshipped by every visible and invisible creation. What language could praise the magnitude of this celebration or to present worthily the enormity of the beneficence of God to human beings? Father, we pray for a newfound appreciation of Christ's ascension that after 40 days of appearing to his disciples, he ascended into heaven. And the disciples rejoiced. They worshipped you. Because now we have a king, a king above all kings, a lord above all lords, who is for us. No power on earth, no human on earth could ever compare to the power of Jesus Christ. No human on earth, no power on earth could ever compare to the love of Jesus Christ. And his power and love are ascended into heaven and seated at your right hand. We thank you that the one who ascended first descended to us, humble enough to become one of us, to suffer like us, to know pain like us, to die for us. We thank you that he is our middleman, that he is our mediator, that he always lives to intercede for us, that his past is not stuck in the past. It is made present because he is seated at your right hand. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.